Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And our generation has lived through some major markers that each of us remembers, but perhaps few are as stunningly memorable as the Tate-LaBianca murders that took place in 1969. And yesterday, December 4th, if I'm right, my guests will check up on me, but it marks the 50th anniversary of the day Charles Charles Manson was arrested. The world got its first look at this strange and many consider truly evil man. And our guest today, Ivor Davis, is a legendary reporter and author who was one of the very first on the scene when Sharon Tate and her house guests met their gruesome end. He wrote the first book about the shocking event and even got up and close and personal with the Manson gang on Spawn Ranch. Ivor joins us once again. I've been lucky enough to interview him before to share more more about the Manson murders and the man who mesmerized his followers, left mayhem and murder in his wake, and terrorized the city of Los Angeles for years to come. So how's that for an introduction, Ivor? Well, that's pretty fantastic. Can you come on the road with me again? <laughs> I would so love to do that. I would we so, well, as I, as I mentioned at the start. Actually, it's a, a dazzling intro. Well, wonderful. And I can tell I'm going to have just as much fun. Uh, We are talking about a serious subject, but I had a blast interviewing you before. This is going to be just as great as it was earlier. Uh, But before we start with uh, the Manson murders and all of that, uh, you have a personal fable past, not only with your career, but with four heroes who will forever be in my heart, known as the Fab Four. You forgot the name of the band you travel with, but it does start with a B. So, and strangely, this experience and the Manson experience are intertwined. So, why don't you start out with telling us a little bit, again, about your personal past, and then we'll move on to Manson. Yes. um, Actually, after I spoke to you the the first time, I I did a bit of research, and then I remembered it was a, a group from Liverpool called the Beatles. And, and ah, just yes. to refresh, may I just do a, a, a 15 second refresh? I would love that. Beatles? Okay, well, what happened in 1964, which was, uh, as some of, oh, most of your listeners know, um, it was back in the 20th century, um, was there was a group from Liverpool called the Beatles. And they came to America in 1964. They appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. They did rather well. Uh, actually, 74 million people tuned in to the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> the Beatles were a smash. And then Brian Epstein, their manager, said, hey, let's cash in on this. So then five months later, in August 1964, he brought the Beatles to America, and they were wow. They started off at Candlesticks Park. I can't tell you much about that because there was somebody in the audience screaming nonstop, and I never heard a single <laughs> word they sang. And and to be honest with you, with all due respect to this person that sang, uh, that screamed nonstop, it happened in about 25 other cities. So everywhere we went with the Beatles, the girls screamed. I never heard a word. And for many months, I never knew what the Beatles songs were all about. And then I bought the record, and then I realized, oh, yes, they want to hold my hand and stuff like that. So it was a wild ride back in the days when the Beatles... Were big, and now today, as you know, and the world knows, they're even bigger. 
Yes, well, I I hate to confess on air, but I think I was that girl screaming again. I'm I sorry to were. shock you, Lover, but yes, I think yeah, I was. Yeah, well, I mean, you all forgive us. Well, thank you. And and actually, I, I know it was their last concert because they got so sick of nobody listening to their song. So I really, I the world owes, I owe the world an apology, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. And, but, and, 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 yes, you're right. And, and the last concert, uh, the, the last actual concert was in 1966. And then after that San Francisco appearance, they never played in front of a live paying audience again. Isn't that sad? Yeah. It is sad. I know they did the one up on the roof in London, but yeah, that was. Yeah, but they yes, it's sad. But I may London, have to yeah. confess that, but I never murdered anybody either, so I'm I'm okay Thank in your heavens. book. Thank heavens. <laughs> yes. Well, let's get on to the topic of the day, if we can, because again, was I right? Yesterday was the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Manson being arrested. Correct. It was, and and, and the, if I may just add a little footnote to that. You've got to realize that for four months, the police were baffled by these murders. First of all, it was Sharon Tate in August 1969, and then a week later, the Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. And for four long months, the cops ran around all over the world trying to find the killers. Finally, uh, 50 years ago this week, police chief Ed Davis in Los Angeles announced that they cracked the case and that Charles Manson was the leader of this hippie band, and he was named as the chief suspect along with many of his, uh, several of his devotees. And that is how the world learned about this awful, awful man who really goes down in history almost uh, as bad as Jack the Ripper, probably as bad as. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to also delve a little bit back into your history again, because you did write the very first book ever on the topic entitled Five to Die. And uh, we spoke briefly about this last time, but actually, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor, actually referred to your book when he was uh, preparing for his case. So it was a great resource for him, I'm sure. Uh, but what made you go on to want to write another book about Charles Manson and, and that time? Well, you've got to realize that my first book, which, which Mr. Bugliosi, I was told by one of his associates, used as a blueprint for his prosecution, uh, the fact that the Beatles supposedly promised or supposedly brainwashed with their music his followers, and he, he brainwashed them into killing. But why I decided to update, or not update, a completely new book, which is, which is my Manson Exposed, was this. I was in Seattle visiting my daughter, and I met two young men who were uh, remodeling the kitchen. And we got into a conversation about murder, and I asked them if they had ever heard of Charles Manson. And one young man who was in his 20, late 20s said, oh, yeah, he's a, uh, an environmental guy. He wanted clean air and clean water, um, and they railroaded him with this murder because he was never at the murder scene. Well, when I heard that, knowing what I knew, I thought, this is ridiculous. We've got a new generation of young people who do not know the history, the background, and the fact that Manson was a, a murderer, and he conspired with his acolytes to murder uh, innocent people, including the beautiful, pregnant Sharon Tate. So I said, I've got to write a story bringing it up to date. 
So I went back to the uh, drawing board and wrote my book, which kind of involves my involvement in meeting Manson, meeting the Manson family members at the Spahn Ranch and bringing it right up to date to show that Manson was never, ever a hero. Well, and one of the things about Manson Exposed, you mentioned that the younger generations really doesn't know the story. Well, I felt before I read Manson Exposed, oh, I knew everything about it. What are you going to show me that's new? Every other page was something like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. And last time we talked about all the Hollywood types who were saying, oh, we were invited to dinner that night and for one reason or another missed it. But today I I would like to, if we could talk, in addition to Charles Manson, a little bit about Tex Watson, because one of the facts that comes out from your book that I had never known is that he had been to Cielo Drive when Terry Melcher lived there, and actually he was also friends with Dennis Wilson. So tell us a little little bit about Tex Watson, if we can, in addition to, of course, the hero or the anti-hero of our story, Charles Manson. But Tex Watson certainly played a big role in the murders. Yes. I mean, Charles Tex Watson was a young, good-looking, looked like a model, um, looked like a young movie star. And he came to Hollywood from a small town in Texas. And he got up, caught up in the drug scene. Not only did he get caught up in the drug scene, but he got caught up in the Charles Manson spider web of of murder. And Charles Manson sent him and the girls out to kill Sharon Tate. Now, I must tell you that I don't think Manson knew that Sharon Tate lived at the house. But what, what, what actually happened was that Charles Manson wanted to be a rock star. He was frustrated. Um... And Tex Watson was just another one of these young acolytes, followers, devotees, call them what you will, who did everything that Manson said, because Manson fed Charles Tex Watson drugs every single day. Watson today is still in jail. He was convicted of all the murders. He has tried for 50 years to get parole. He is now still in prison, alive. I think he has several children from visits from women who for some reason fell in love with him. I mean, those kind of things are not uncommon. Women who are looking for who knows what hook up with criminals and they go to prison and they even get married. And and Watson got married. And, of course, the other thing about Watson is he's found found God. He's now got his ministry. He's now has his own website. And he's still around and he's still... Um, not 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 talking about his innocence because he, he admits his guilt. And when I covered the Watson trial, I must tell you this, there were six, six psychiatrists who showed up to try and prove that Watson was mentally unbalanced when he did the murders. And I think he probably was. But honestly, with all the, with all the corpses and all the innocents murdered, the jury, yeah. no jury on earth was going to was going to uh, acquit him of these awful, awful uh, killings. Well, and yes, and wasn't and in the book it came out that he was one of the very first to it said kind of murder by you know he may have actually done the physical aspect, but he was innocent because he was brainwashed. Yes, yes, so that was it. Was a sort of a thing for most of your listeners know the Manchurian Candidate story. Yeah, and I think I, I call it the Manchurian candidate Tex Watson. It was a great it was a great defense, but it didn't wash. And the other thing that I remember when I went to the trial 
was I'd seen Tex Watson earlier, and at his trial, he was he was shriveled down from about 200 muscular pounds to 130 pounds. He sat there in a catatonic state because he wanted to try and show the jury. I mean, whether it was a brilliant acting uh, um, rehearsal or whatever, I don't know. But he certainly looked pretty bizarre. He looked pretty weak. He looked very much a shadow of his former self. But none of that, uh, none of that wash, none of it uh, enabled the jury to acquit him. And he's still in prison, and he's still trying to get out on parole today. My gosh. Well, well, uh, let's move on to the man himself, Manson. And you actually, I think that we wrote in the book that the first time you met him, you saw him in a jail cell. As, am I right about that? Or in, in a room? So he, it was, you met him before trial. Am I correct on that? Or was I that did. after yes. trial? Yes. Well, you've got to realize that 50 years ago this week, Manson appeared in court in a place called Independence, California. He was being arraigned not and I repeat, not for murder. And this was in December of 1969. He was being arraigned for car theft. And so I went up there, and I, I covered the arraignment in this little uh, town in Inyo County, California, about 200 miles from Los Angeles. And there was this kind of wimpy-looking guy with staring eyes, with members of his uh, entourage sitting in the audience, those who were not sitting in the uh, spectator section, and there was this little guy being charged with car theft. Well, of course, what happened was the L.A. cops said, we have a more important charge that we want to bring Mr. Manson back with, and so uh, the case was, was sort of delayed, and Mr. Manson was, was, tra- was brought from, uh, from Inyo County to uh, Los Angeles 50 years ago this week to face murder charges and then the trial and, and then all the rest of the, the history of Manson and, and, his, and his death a couple of years ago. So that was the first time I set eyes on him. Wasn't too impressed, but I could see that he had the girls in the audience, the girls in the spectator section, kind of ooing and eyeing, believe it or not, at Manson. And there he was, this little wimpy guy in chains, in, in oversized prison denims, and, and then he was to become a sort of horrendous icon of the 20th century. Yeah. Well, and another thing that you write is, you know, again, in trial, he couldn't, he had to be somewhat subdued. But you wrote it was called the, you called it the Manson Show, that he was always kind of on. And even if he was speaking gibberish, which, of course, we've all heard in jailhouse interviews and things, he didn't seem to make sense, but he said it with a lot of conviction. Well, one of the, one of the things about the trial was that Manson, for some reason, decided it, that he wasn't going to do a traditional trial, and so he made a mockery of the justice system. He screamed at the judge. He dived at the judge with a sharp pencil. He, he, he carved a swastika in his forehead, and then the, the girls, Susan Atkins, Leslie Van Houten, and Patricia Krenwinkel, did the same. They kind of mimicked everything that Manson did in court to disrupt the proceedings. And that's why, in a way, believe it or not, the trial went on for nearly a year before they, were, before they convicted him. And the other thing that, that many people, when I tell them this story, are astounded by is, and you may not believe this at all, but I'm going to tell you this, Eileen. During the entire trial, Manson and all the girls 
never testified in their own defense. They did testify right at the end, the girls did, when it came down to death or life imprisonment. But during the trial, they never, never sat on the witness stand and tried to tell the story which might have explained their behavior because they knew, they knew that nothing they could say would really explain the horrendous murders that they committed. I, I would, I, one thing I wanted to ask you is, did you continue? I mean, would, did you have you interviewed some of these women uh, after the, the as they languished in prison years <clears throat> later? No, uh, the, the reason I deliberately didn't, I mean, I went to the parole hearings and I saw them at the parole hearings, and they, the parole hearings went on for years. But I deliberately did not want, want to do that because I, I, I somehow, I'm a fairly sympathetic fellow, and I know, I mean, even today I believe I have sympathy for Leslie Van Houten and also Patricia yeah. Krenwinkel because they were young, kind of inexperienced, callow women uh, who, were, who were manipulated by Manson and drugs. And I, I kind of felt that if I had gone to see them in prison, and I'm sure they would have talked to me, um, that I might have... Oh, look, I, there's another great journalist who covered the trial, and she's just retired, and she is now a great supporter of Leslie Van Houten's um, um, probation. So I know that being sympathetic, being the way I am as a human, uh, uh, that I might have succumbed to their blandishments, if you like, and, and felt uh, I couldn't be objective if I got too close to them. And so I deliberately avoided any close contact with them or even um, communicating with them by letter or by telephone. I, I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I didn't. Well, I have to say, uh, I again, this book is just incredible, and I want to make sure we say the whole title right now, Manson Exposed, A Reporter's 50-Year Journey into Madness and Murder. And, boy, uh, I will say as a reader, if you think you know about Manson, even at our age, I mean, having lived through it in 1969 and I've watched plenty of TV shows and read books on it, you are going to find so many new things in this book. It's just amazing. And Ivor, before we have to go, you do you are on YouTube, uh, and you talk about the book on several videos. Where can our people or our listeners go to find out more about you and your book in your own words on your own videos? Well, you can find it all on www.ivordavisbooks.com, or you can just punch in uh, Ivor Davis author. And again, if you do that, you will be bored, rigid by all my stuff. Because you know, and everybody knows, there's so much on the internet. But if you if you want to go there, as I say, either go to Amazon and get the book, or go onto my website, read about me, and then say I don't want to buy that guy's book, and, and then just forget about it. But whatever way, whatever way, um, it is a horrendous story. It's going to continue with us because I'm going to tell you, Eileen, I've just done a long, a long, long, long television interview, and next year there's going to be a, a six-hour miniseries on television, on the Manson phenomena. And it, it sort of never, it never dies, uh, although some people think that if they had been executed, we wouldn't be talking about the case today. They're probably right, but it's, it's, a, it's a mesmerizing story. And as you know, and as many people around the world know, um, mass murderers fascinate us, fascinate us. 
there's a morbid yeah. curiosity that we like to read about, and we see movies about. Of course, uh, I don't want to go on forever, but there's a movie that Quentin Tarantino has done called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which kind of, sort of, is a fairy story about the film, about the, about the true story, and is going to get some Oscar nominations early in the new year. Well, I, the story is amazing, but the author of Manson Exposed is equally amazing. Either it, I, I, you obviously have a great big fan in me. Uh, your writing is great. And I just want to uh, ask you one last question, and then I promise I will let you go. But uh, what, what, again, I know the reason you wrote was kind of to uh, share, share with younger generations the story about, but in light of, you know, things that happen today and all the issues and everything, is there any message that you want? your readers to take away from the book well the main thing is that Manson was such a Machiavellian um, person that he was able to con people to do his every every willing including murder today I would tell young people that just because somebody shows up out of the blue and thinks that they can tell you the meaning of life and wants you to abandon your lifestyle and join him or her Forget about it. There's never the perfect answer to the meaning of life. You have to find it yourself and uh, look. I mean, pay attention to people who know, not to passing gurus, passing people who think they can give you uh, the message. So beware of these gurus offering blandishments and, and, and that kind of thing. Be on your guard, and um, and you won't get caught up by con men or con women. Well, very wise words, a wonderful book, a super author, and somebody who I am now going to call my friend despite our meeting when you, when the Beatles had to give up touring because of me. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, blame, I blame it all on you, Eileen. Well, what a delight, Ivor. Thank you so much for your time, your amazingly creative mind, and sharing all about this wonderful read, Manson Exposed. Thanks for having me. Well, and I do want to make sure I've said this before, but really, all you listeners out there, please pick up a copy of this book. Look on YouTube. Believe me, you will not be bored stiff. <laughs> Ivers is as delightful on YouTube as he is when you get to interview him. And the book, believe me, is a real page turner. You're going to find out a lot of things about the event that you had no idea happened. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Thank you.